Welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast, Enlightened Discipline. I'm Matt Haller, and I'll be your host for today's podcast, and I'm joined as always by Scott Stauber, an experienced financial advisor who's a designated CFP, or Certified Financial Planner, and the managing partner of Better Wealth. This podcast is brought to you by Better Wealth, located in California's Silicon Valley, serving individual investors and companies from around the United States. Well, hello, Scott. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Matt. How are you? I am doing very well. So today, uh, and if those people who've been listening to the Better Wealth podcast for a while realize that we've been really seriously cruising through the 10 rules of Better Wealth, right? That's what we've been talking about? We have, yes. And we're on on number 10 today. Yeah, we're on number 10 today. So uh, we've done a great job of making sure that you're uh, providing a wonderful thought leadership to your audience. And I I really appreciate your your insightfulness and the communication and the willingness that you have to provide people with really, really good information. Now, I'm a little partial to this last one because I I do happen to be a coach in another life. Uh, But that's number 10, right? Use a coach or a teacher. So let's uh, back, back up. Talk about this and how this epiphany came to you. You know, if we look at all the other sort of 10 rules of better wealth, they're all about what you should do in terms of setting your goals or in terms of how much you should save or what what way to save, you know, your allocation, know what to do with your investments, how to manage your emotions, you know, an investment policy statement, all these different things. But, you know, still you want to have somebody who's going to be there for you, helping you, implement those things. There are just so many examples and benefits of using a coach, a teacher, a mentor, someone who's got professional training in their field, whether it's a physician, a a CPA, an attorney, a business coach, or personal fitness we've talked a lot about. I just think working with somebody like this to help you implement these rules can help you reach your goals faster with less mistakes and more success. Do you consider yourself that kind of person for your existing client relationships? I, uh, we do. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons that we have combined sort of our passions of personal finance and, and teaching and education because we really enjoy doing that. Um, you know, before we actually – and I actually have – it's kind of funny. We're on number 10, use a coach or a teacher, and I have 10 questions that you should ask to find the right advisor. Um, so I thought that was kind of nice. We were going to end up with 10 questions that anybody can ask to make sure that they find their right advisor. Well, before we get to those 10 questions about finding the right advisor, um, what are some other things that people really need to understand and learn about using a coach or a teacher? Yeah, that's a good. Good. There's um, sort of one key thing that I think before we get into these 10 questions, and I think people need to understand that there's a difference between the standard of care in our industry. And, and it's not talked a lot about, but it should be. And so Traditionally, uh, most advisors had what we call a standard of care for suitability, Uh, but there's also a higher standard of care called the fiduciary standard of care. Now, suitability just means that you have to know who your client is, kind of know their financial situation, and that you recommend products that are suitable for them, whereas the fiduciary standard of care is much more rigorous. It means you actually have to put the client's needs first. You have to act with prudence, skill, and judgment of a professional. You are not allowed to mislead clients. You must have full and fair disclosure of all important facts. You must avoid conflicts of interest. And if there are conflicts of interest, you have to fully disclose them and manage them in the client's favor. 
Okay, and I so, want to pause you there. Hold, hold on, because because I can tell, and I know our listeners can too, that this is something you're fiercely passionate about. But explain the full disclosure. You said full disclosure twice in just talking about uh, fiduciary being a lot more rigorous. What does disclosure mean? Can you help us with that? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that the industry requires us to do, you know, whether we're registered with our state body or whether we're registered with the SEC. And a lot of those things are legal disclosures. And sometimes I've almost gotten to the habit of saying to clients, just because something is legally disclosed doesn't mean it's in your best interest. If I'm doing suitability advice where it's a product that can meet a need, I might disclose everything there is about that product and, and how I get paid, but that doesn't mean that it's in your best interest. There might be other things that are more suitable for you that are actually in a fiduciary care where it's your best interests are ahead of mine, so that might be better for you. You know, I think there are good and bad people in every industry, in every firm, and so the more you can do to align yourself with those who have the highest standards, the better off you're going to be. And in the big picture, it's really the difference between what we call selling product and providing advice. I just think that there's too many ways that people in our industry get paid that you don't know about. And there's too many other ways that we can maybe get our alignment messed up. So I think that first thing is just important for everybody to understand. What's the difference between your suitability standard and the fiduciary care? Well, now we're going to jump into these 10 questions. So if you haven't already, as our listenership started taking notes, Scott's going to drop some serious knowledge on you here because these are brilliant questions for you to ask a financial services professional if you are considering working with somebody, anybody who's going to provide you, whether they're going to be talking about products or they're going to be selling advice or providing good advice. These are 10 questions. So um, Scott, I'm, I'm hopefully not going to uh, interrupt your mojo as you're going through these, but if you do say anything, I hope you don't mind if I kind of jump in there and, and have you explain a little bit more because there are a couple of uh, acronyms that I know that you're going to talk about, and I want to make sure we flesh those out. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right, number one, go. So number one, I think you need to ask yourself first, what's most important to me, investment management, financial planning, or both? So many people in our industry just focus on investment management, and I think financial planning is really the thing that's going to make the big difference. I happen to believe that when people don't reach their financial goals, it's seldom, if ever, because of bad investment performance. It's more so because they didn't understand what their goals were, they didn't write them down, they spent too much, they didn't save enough. So in today's day and age, financial advisors and the good ones really provide more financial planning Investment management is still important, but financial planning is really what you need. So ask yourself, what's more important to you? Investment management, financial planning, or both? Number two, what standard of care do you want? We just talked about this. Do you want a standard of care that is a suitability test, is something suitable for you, or do you want to work with an advisor who has a fiduciary of care standard that means they must put your best interests ahead of theirs all the time in every interaction? And so that's, that's, I think, you know, super critical. The third one, and this is where we'll probably pause and talk a little bit about some of these things are you should ask an advisor, what are your, what are your credentials? And, and then there's a way for you to go check and see if there's any skeletons in their closet. And so you, you want to work with people who are, who are educated and have a credential or are registered with a, a body to do that. That means there's something that might be called a CFP, a, a certified financial planner. Maybe they could be a chartered financial analyst. We call that a CHFC. But those two designations are really some of the best that you can have. 
there's a way for you to go check and see if when I mentioned there's skeletons in their closets. If you just Google broker check, just go ahead and put it in there and go to broker check and you'll end up at, at FINRA's website, which is the national body that sort of keeps track of broker dealers. And you can actually type in the name of your advisor that you're thinking of working with or the one you're with now. You can type in the name of their firm and you can see if there's been other complaints against that advisor. If you're, there, there's a chance, and, and they'll tell you on this website on Broker Check, if your broker or your advisor is not registered uh, as a broker dealer, but maybe is what's called a registered investment advisor, then they're going to send you over to the SEC's advisor search. And, and here you could just Google investment advisor public disclosure. You can also just do advisor, SEC advisor search, and that'll get you there too. And then that'll take you to where you can see what kind of disclosures these advisors have. It's a little different than a broker dealer, um, much more information about what they do. And you can see what their history is there. So I think looking for skeletons in the closet, looking at their credentials to make sure that they've got the training to work with you in all the areas that you need is, is really important. Skeletons are skeletons, right? And there are people who aren't perfect. So let's break down what they're looking for. So I think if somebody wants to find out if they're a CFP or a CHFC, as you have said, which are the two um, most notable and, and really, honestly, one of the most rigorous programs to the most rigorous programs that you can take as a financial services professional to truly become a financial planner. But when it comes to broker check and the SEC, so, so Scott, let, let's say uh, I, I like my advisor a whole bunch, um, but he or she has something on that. What do I do with that? How do I interpret that? What really does that mean? That's good. You know, the, they do something now where the broker can actually respond to the complaint and say what their view of it was. I think, you know, depending upon what it was, it's either going to rule them out, right? If you have a choice to work with one person who has something disclosed and another person who doesn't, I'm always going to choose the person who doesn't. But if you find that something on there and you still want to work with that person, ask them about it. Lots of times it could be, you know, more often than not, it's about a product that the client didn't understand. And so the advisor was more focused on that suitability standard. And so they sold a product and a couple years went by and the client didn't understand it because there wasn't enough education. And boom, here we are with a complaint. Uh, they lost money on it and, and there's some kind of, you know, rebate or refund to the client. Those kinds of things, you know, there's, as I said before, there's good and bad people with every firm and sometimes good people um, might sell a product that what we call blows up on them. Uh, that's one of the reasons we stay away from a lot of that stuff. But anyhow, I think that's the thing to do. Just bring it up. Just talk with them about it. And if you've got a choice between one that has something disclosed and one that doesn't, there's plenty of advisors out there who don't have any disclosures you can work with. You just opened us into number four, right? It was a beautiful segue that you had because it has to do with how people are paid. And there are very few complaints, if any, uh, registered with FINRA or the SEC about advice or fee-based, right? So let's break down how, that's your question, right? So we're asking the yeah. 10 questions you need to uh, find the right advisor. Let's talk about that. Yeah, this is number four. So after you've looked at, you know, what's most important to you, investment management, financial planning, or both, what standard of care do you want? You've checked into credentials and the skeletons in the closet. You want to ask people, how do you get paid? Um, and you need to know, is it commission? Is it fee-based or what we call fee-only? Now, fee-based is kind of funny because it's a combination of fee-only and commission, and that's what they call it, fee-based. But here, I think it's really, really important to just ask people, if you're going to work with them, how do you get paid? 
And then they answer the question. And then you ask them again, are there any other ways that you get paid? And you listen. And then you ask them again, are there any other ways that you get paid? Because trust me, not only are there multiple ways that advisors get paid, there's multiple ways their company gets paid. And some of these firms have 40, 50 page disclosures on how somebody's getting paid. It could be in the form of, you know, commissions, bonuses, uh, vacations, uh, you know, different kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, trips that you get to go on, all this stuff. And, and really, I think, you know, you want to find somebody who is fee only. That's my opinion. There's just less opportunity for conflicts of interest. Uh, there's always going to be conflicts of interest in any business relationship you have. The important thing is that they're disclosed fairly and that you can understand them, you can easily find them, and that they're talked about. Um, so that kind of gets us to the next one, mm -hmm. which is number five, what are the potential conflicts of interest that I could have with you? And, and this is really good because, again, these conflicts of interest, you want to make sure they're, they're easy to find and easy to understand. But I, I do this all the time with my clients. We might have a situation where somebody has money in an investment account. They have an opportunity to buy a piece of real estate as an investment property, a rental property, a vacation property. And now I've got to give them advice on whether they should do this or not. What are the short-term, intermediate, long-term financial implications for them? And if they take that money out of the investment account, I get paid less money, right? So there is a conflict of interest there, but I've got to have a fiduciary standard that says I've got to put my client's interests first. So I have to be objective about it. And the best way I've found to deal with it is to just be public about it with them. So anytime we're sitting down, we're talking about those things, I just share that with them right up front. Hey, I'm trying to make sure this doesn't cloud our discussion, but I want to make sure you know that if you don't do this, your money stays in the account and I make more money. I'm here to help you reach your goals. That's okay with me. But now let's go through that discussion, right? I just don't think there's many advisors that do that all the time. And again, if you have that fiduciary standard of care, you have to do that. Um, so that's that's a good one to ask. So number, number six, you're right. So number yep. six is one that um, is hidden to me. Uh, and I know that very, very few people ask this question. And I think if they did, not just in a financial services component or in a relationship, but in life, right? And if you just broaden this question a little bit more, I think you're going to find more people that you have a much better uh, opportunity to have a long-term relationship. So, so what is number six? Number six is what is your ideal client? And, and then you're going to be thinking in the back of your head, do I fit that mold? And this is really, I think more advisors would appreciate it if prospective clients would ask this of us. Because uh, then we get to say, where are the ways that we think we add the most value? What are the situations and, and, and circumstances that we think we can really, really help somebody reach their goals? It's not just much that we're building a client base, we're churning accounts, trying to get people in, but it has us come back and say, who do we really enjoy working with, right? And I think that's a good thing to know. So then you can make a decision of whether they're going to be stepping outside of that comfort zone or that that fun zone, as we call it, right, to a zone that maybe is fits doesn't fit you as much, right? So that, that's good. So Number Scott, seven. I'm sorry. Hold, oh. hold on. I, I warned you I was going to pause you. Uh, yeah. What happens if the advisor says, I don't have an ideal client? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I suppose there are some people that can have that approach. I know that in, in my practice, I can't be everything to everybody. Um, and when you try to do that, then you're not doing a good job at what you want to do in the first place. So it's it's really, 
you know, if somebody has your best interests at heart, um, they're going to know who they serve best. Maybe you could ask the question. Here's a good idea. Ask the question a different way. Instead of saying, what's your ideal client? Say, what kind of clients do you have the most fun with? That's a wonderful question. Right. And we're going to get to a question later on that I don't think a lot of people ask. I'm um, saving this one for number 10. Okay. But I think it's at this too. All right. Let's go to number seven. So number seven is I think it's really important. You need to ask the advisor, what's your investment philosophy? You know, uh, they're going to talk about active, passive, a, a, a new one that's been around for a while that a lot of people don't use this term. Evidence-based investing philosophy is really good. Is it something else you want to find out? Are they model? Do they have a model that they just put everybody into? Do they custom tailor things? And I, I think the key here is that you want to be wary of a financial advisor that leads with investment performance or access to certain types of investment managers. You know, again, active management or investment performance is very fickle, you know, and it has little to do with whether you will reach your financial goals. You want to understand what they're going to do. You want to understand what the costs are of the investments they're using. But you really want to be wary of somebody who's just saying, hey, you're coming to me because of investment performance, which kind of brings us to number eight. Ask somebody, how do you measure your success? And I think the deal here is anybody that measures the success on investment performance, you want to stay away from. You really want to understand, are they client focused or are they business focused? So many times in this industry, we've got fast growing firms bringing on clients and different models, using lots of different cool technology to bring more people, more people on. And again, you want to find somebody who's more client focused in their business, who's going to measure the success you know, if you will, one client at a time and whether those clients meet their goals or not, not so much whether I'm meeting my business goals. Um, so that's number eight. Number nine, I think this is uh, the last two, nine and 10 are two questions that I, I don't see many people out there saying, hey, ask this question of your financial advisor. So these are ones that I really like. And you should ask the financial advisor in terms of your industry, what are your regrets? What do you wish you had known earlier in your career that could have better served your clients? And then see what they say, right? You know, for me, it's a lot about uh, starting with monthly investing, you know, what we call dollar cost averaging. Or for me, it's a lot about making sure that you've got a minimum amount of life insurance or just making sure that you don't lose track and get caught up in, in your lifestyle without saving. So, that, you know, asking somebody, what are their regrets, can really give you some good information about them. And the, and the last one, which I think is um, the best question, um, ask the advisor, why have you been fired by a client in the past? Or why have you fired clients in the past? And then see what they say. See how that fits into what you're looking for. It begins to tell you a little bit more about what's that ideal client that we talked about earlier and do you fit, fit the mold? Is it reasonable that they've been fired in some situations? Absolutely. Everybody's lost a client or two along the way. And, and what do they learn from that? So I think if you step back and you sort of say, okay, what are 10 questions I can ask to find the right advisor? These might be some that can help you find that right person. So, Scott, I, I was just talking to this really, really smart advisor who said that there's these 10 questions that you're supposed to ask a financial advisor to find out if they're a right advisor. Uh, would you mind if I asked you a couple of these? Because I think it's important for your listeners uh, to hear how you would answer some of these questions. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's just start from the top, brother. Let's go. What is more important to you, investment management, financial planning, or both? I'm going to say both. 
hands down. And we're going to put a higher preference on financial planning and investment management is still important. It's still what we do every mm -hmm. day, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't have your goals and your plan. Well, you've already answered number two, but I'm going to ask it again, which is what standard of care do you want or do you provide for me as a client, suitability or fiduciary? We do fiduciary. It's the highest, highest standard possible. We we'll always have a, a, a duty to put your interests ahead of ours. When I open up the Better Wealth podcast for you, I introduce you as a CFP or Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner of Better Wealth. So uh, we all know that you're a CFP. What Do you have any other sort of education or what continuing education have you uh, continued to seek out uh, for professional growth and development? Well, we have to do continuing education for the CFP every year. Okay. Um, so we continue to do that. I also have my MBA, and that makes a big difference in mm -hmm. terms of analyzing different financial situations and what, what comes to clients. Fantastic. So how do you get paid? Are you a commission guy, a fee-based guy, or fee-only? We are fee-only. Okay. And again, so, so since we're reviewing some of these, explain to our listeners once again what fee-only means versus commission and fee-based. It means that, uh, you know, we don't sell life insurance because that's involved with a commission. Uh, when we do stock trades for people, there's no commission on top of that. Mm -hmm. When we, you know, buy different products, there's no commissions to us. We just have a fee that we charge, and that fee can be uh, based on a percentage of assets. It can be based on an hourly rate. It can be based on a financial plan. Mm -hmm. um, it can be whatever is in the client's best interest. So number five, which are what are the potential conflicts of interest? I want you to reiterate what you said in your explanation of question number five, the top 10 questions to find a right advisor, because I really want people to hear it again. So use that example of the potential conflict of interest and how you approach that conflict of interest to a, 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 pre, a pretend client, which is me here. You know, so whether it's um, taking money out of account or putting money into an account, that's really the core of the potential conflict of interest that we can have is that I make money when there's you know money in accounts that I'm working with people on and I make less money when the, when the money leaves. And so what we try to do is just work through those situations and try to make sure that there's good value for the client. The idea with potential conflicts is it's not so much that we can avoid them. Um, we can by structure that we set up, but it's more so that we disclose them and that people understand what they are and can make a good decision. So that's really what we're trying to do, whether it's taking money out to invest in real estate or whether it's bringing money in from a rollover. There's lots of different things we have to do to make sure that where you're leaving is, is not better off than where you're coming into. And we just try to talk about that. What is your ideal client? With, with all of what you've said from, from question number five and below, if I'm listening to this and I say, you know what, I just really don't know if I'm the right kind of person for Scott. Can you reiterate again? I know you talked about it at the top of the podcast before we even got into the 10 questions, but what is your ideal client? Who really are you looking for? Yeah, so we have two broad categories that we go into. And, and the first one is we say people who are maybe 10 years till retirement or in the early phases of retirement. Uh, we love working with those kinds of folks, feel we can add a lot of value. The next area that we have is what I call uh, growing families, people who are younger in their careers, who are looking to start off and do things from the right start um, right away. So those are the two groups that we, we tend to work with the most. And your investment philosophy is what? 
So we do evidence-based uh, investment philosophy, very academic driven, uh, not necessarily active and not necessarily passive. Uh, we'll talk about that in future podcasts and mm -hmm. we've talked a little bit about it before, but mm -hmm. really trying to identify what are the things that have academically been proven to work in the long run in the markets. And do you make custom portfolios or do you have models? Yeah, everything we do is custom. We start with a core model, but then we apply that to every client's situation, account, circumstance individually. So we uh, it's pretty time consuming, but that's what we do. And you answered question number eight already, which I just loved your answer, which is, you know, how do you measure success? And we talked about that with, with really conflict of interest. Um, but but again, you, you said, you know, you want to be able to make it so that uh, you run a successful business. We, we've talked about that in previous podcasts, that your employees are happy, that your clients are happy. So I'm going to answer number eight for you, but I'm dying to hear question number nine from Scott Stoffer and question number 10. So what are your regrets? What, what were things that if you could go back in time as a financial services professional, you would be like, uh, you know what, I would have done that differently. I think there's two things. For younger families, I would just sort of say up front, um, what do we need to do in terms of some basic life insurance for you? Most people have some, but I've never met anybody who had too much, if you will. I'm not a big fan of some of the permanent cash value life insurance policies. It's more of, um, let's just make sure that we've got a minimum amount of coverage in a 20, 30 year term policy. So you don't have to worry about it. That's one thing. A second thing would be getting everybody started on a monthly dollar cost averaging program outside of what they do with their 401ks, with uh, Roth IRAs or other things like that. Just getting people to learn to save and invest. The people who I have found that have the most success in terms of um, how they measure that success and it's doing something they love and can make a career out of it are the ones who have found a way to have their lifestyle be within what their income is. And so um, just getting people to save every month, I think, is a great thing. Mm. Uh, number 10, you're going to ask me. I am. Um, I was just about why, to ask you. All why right. have I been fired? Yeah, by totally. And, and why have I had to, to Why have you fired? A client? Yeah, absolutely. Out? I want to hear both answers to this. Yeah. So why have I been fired by a client? I think hands down, it's been... Um, people's perception of what investment performance is. Um, so maybe there was a misalignment early on where they wanted something that was much more aggressive than what I'm willing to do. Um, and so, you know, we tried it for a little bit and, um, you know, whether it's a specific number here or there, it didn't matter. It was just their perception that they wanted to continue to take more aggressive risks, that they wanted to maybe go into investment products that I wouldn't do, whether that was options trading whether that's hedged products or things like that. So we tend to believe in keeping it pretty simple here. Um, so that was when I've been asked, uh, when, when clients have left me. Um, how have I had to ask clients to leave? Um, I think the, the it hasn't happened much, but it's happened a couple times. And it's when I just didn't feel like we were adding value anymore, where somebody was more focused on maybe investment performance or somebody was more focused on something that, that we didn't think was something that they could control and therefore, you know, we couldn't add value. Uh, you never want to work with somebody who doesn't take your advice. And so it's just been those situations where somebody didn't feel comfortable or didn't like the advice that we were given anymore. And so rather than continue to work with them and take money from them, I thought it was better for them to go find a different advisor to work with. 
So we've been talking about the top 10 principles of better wealth. And today we talked about number 10, which is to use or, or a coach or a teacher. And then we dove into what we just did there, which is the 10 questions to find the right advisor. And Scott, uh, that's incredibly valuable to me as a consumer, uh, as a consumer, not only of financial services, uh, but also in, as a human being that I can talk to my friends and family and make sure that they're asking these questions so they have a better understanding of who they're working with. But before we sign off today, is there any parting wisdom? Uh, go back and take a look at the uh, 10 rules for better wealth. Uh, we're going to be moving on to some other topics in our next podcast, but lots of good things in the past here. Well, that's it today for Better Wealth Podcast. I'm Matt Howard for Scott Stoffer. Please make sure you follow us at betterwealth.us or us. And when you're ready to have an advisor who's focused on doing what works better for your success, Scott and his team are available to chat in person, on the phone, or in a video conference.